Amen. Let's take that red song book and turn to page 381. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Amen.
quit passing them out, but I've got more calendars to give you. And at the very bottom of the calendar, this is, this is a note for our adults, okay? And uh, so I know that some of you will be making it in on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night, kind of by the skin of your teeth. You're going to be coming in from work. You may not have had a chance to eat, anything like that. Now, this is for the adults, okay? And so in the back, as you come in the fellowship hall, there's going to be coffee, and then there is a white cabinet with some drawers. We've got some different snacks in there. And so adults, if you need a snack before church, I'd rather you eat it then before church than to be hangry in church. Can I get a witness right there? Okay. So it's not going to bother me. We, we did that just for you. So if you will. If you need it, if you've had a chance to do that, if your sugar uh, drops about 9 o'clock when we're still in church, go back there and get you a pudding cup, all right? Um, but I, I do appreciate everyone uh, being here today, and Brother Dave and his family just sat down, but I'm going to ask them if they will come on back. i tell you what let's do. Let's have our young folks come this morning and let them sing. And uh, Brother David, are you going to be able to play bass for them? All right, you come play bass for them. You pray for the young folks as they sing. And uh, then we may, just kind of depending on how it goes, we may give it right over to Brother Duane.
Amen. You could be seated. Hallelujah. Amen. We, I feel like maybe just a week or so ago we sang that song, and uh, it's just such a blessing. And he, he had a conversation this, this afternoon around a cup, or this morning around a cup of coffee, and uh, just reminding someone to think about the good things instead of the bad. And I know that's hard sometimes to think about good when you're surrounded by bad. But if you'll get in in that mode and start thinking about good things that God has done, it, it, it won't just be around your last 10 minutes or around the last 12 hours or around the last week. That thing will start running back and for long, you, whoo, goodness gracious, for long you're way on back yonder and you're still praising God for what He's done. I listened to Brother, Han, uh, brother uh, help me, Brother Handley Milby, uh, Milby this morning preaching about the wolves. And uh, he said something in, in that. He said something about the wolves is that they, if they can't find anything, they'll go dig up old bones and start chewing on them. Now, that's negative, all right? But sometimes it do us Christians good to go back some of our old blessings and dig them up and start praising God about them. Amen? And so I appreciate the Lord today. I appreciate our young folks singing and the adults helping them. And didn't those three boys down here look good this morning? They look good. I don't know where they all at. That toe-headed boy back yonder somewhere. Another one over here. Where's the other one? Oh, he's back there with little brother. Okay. All right. Now, how many is ready for preaching this morning? Amen. Amen. Preacher, you come this morning, and I want you to pray for him. And uh, he's he's batching it this week. And uh, so you pray for him. You pray for his family as they're at home. But, Preacher, you just give us what the Lord has on you. Thank you, brother. Okay. Amen. All right. Good to be in God's house, isn't it? Amen. And it uh, looks like almost a full house this morning. That's a blessing. Any Sunday morning, somebody say amen right there. We sure are delighted to be here in America. It's back at Lighthouse Baptist Church. I always enjoy getting to come by and spend a few days with you. We're excited about what the Lord has in store for us this week, this morning, and these days that God has afforded us. Now, I must confess that when I walked in the back door this morning and Brother Don was up here arranging some songs with Brother John, with Brother David, um, I... Uh, I thought, did I do something wrong? Am I in the wrong town? And am I in the right city? You know, sometimes in travel you get the feeling that way. And I will be at Morningstar next Sunday morning. And so if I come in there and, John, and David Dent's leading singing next Sunday, <laughs> we ain't even going there. Amen. I'll just go ahead and check myself in at Milledgeville. And uh, you've got to be a Georgian to understand that. But anyway, amen. Thank goodness for that. Praise the Lord. Well, it sure is good to be in God's house. Find your place. I'm in the book of Titus this morning, a verse or two out of Titus. I'm in chapter number three, if you'll find your place there. Titus chapter number three. And uh, I'll pick up our reading in verse number one, just for the context of the passage of Scripture and then the message from the Word of God. Let me just quickly say this as you time, take time to turn and find your place this morning. Um I would encourage you about being faithful in your place this week, amen? And I try to say that when I'm kicking off a revival meeting or a special series of meetings because I believe that God has something for us. I don't believe these things happen by accident. I believe they happen by providence. 
And if we believe God ordered these things and God orchestrated these things, then God has something for us when he did those things on our behalf. And I'm persuaded that God has for something for you and I in these days of meeting this week. But you'll have to be here to receive them. I mean, they may live stream video feed and all the things that modern technology allows us to do. But it will not substitute for you being in your place to receive what the Holy Ghost is speaking to your heart about. Amen. And I assure you, I assure you that no replication of a service, no replication of a song or a sermon or a testimony will ever, ever be able to reproduce in your heart what God was doing in that moment. Amen. When God was working in that moment in that particular service. Because... There were circumstances in your life that day. There were thoughts in your mind that day. There were situations around you that day that will never be identical again. And God moved in the way that he moved. And though you may receive some blessing from it down the road, and if you had been there, maybe the remembrance will be sweet, but you'll never have that same series of activities and circumstances that will bring you back to that identical place in your heart and in your life. And so be present. Amen. My tongue-in-cheek comment for years has been this, that God will be more than happy for you to pack a bag, a doggy bag, and take something home with you, but he does not do delivery service. Amen. So make sure you get something. Be in your place. Make the sacrifice. You might as well come to terms with it. It'll be the most difficult thing you'll do in days because God... Uh, because the devil knows that God has something in store for you. I believe there's conflicts to that end. But if you'll make the sacrifice and push through the obstacles and hindrances and be in your place in these days, I'm persuaded that God would have something for us. Titus chapter number 3. We'll pick up our reading in verse number 1. And uh, I might make a comment or two as we pass by. The Bible said, put them, to, uh, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. So the Apostle Paul is speaking to the preacher Titus, and he is encouraging him about how he deals with his congregation. And he says you need to remind them, put them in mind, that there is an authority in life, so be subject to principalities and powers. And he said you have to learn to obey those magistrates, and this is why, and I don't think we need to overlook this. He said to be ready to every good work. It's an amazing thing how often in our Christian lives, not the message, just a sidebar, but how often in our Christian lives our attitude and interaction with those that we are about and around hinders us from being able to do the work of God in that place. Amen? Amen. I understand. Don't, 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 uh, don't, uh, accuse me of being a pacifist. I believe as Americans, we have a right to vote, should vote. We ought to be involved and engaged in the political process. I believe that's important, but I am reminded that the king's heart's still in the Lord's hand. Amen. And, uh, and, and I believe that when the laws of man, um, attempt to compromise the law of God, that as believers, we have an obligation to make a stand. But how you make a stand can make a difference in how you influence others. And sometimes we come across pious and we come across belligerent and we come across rebellious. 
And if we can overcome those things, we can still make our stand and be ready to every good work. Side note, all right? But I do want you to consider those phrases, every good work. Then the Bible said, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. Then he reminds us why. He said, for we ourselves also were sometime foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, Paul says, Titus, tell them, you know what you used to be. That's verse number three. But we can't be that way any longer because the kindness and love of God our Savior and the synonymous word with the word kindness is grace. So we know that the grace and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. God showed up in your life. Amen. Jesus passed by your life. Amen. And he said, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. We didn't earn it, he said, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Now, there's the reason. There's the distinction. There's the difference. He said he saved us uh, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? The washing of regeneration reminds us that when he saved us, he did not leave us as he found us. But it speaks about a cleansing or really it speaks about a change. That's what the word regeneration refers to. And so God is not going to leave a man in the sin that he found him in. Right? But then there's that next phrase in the Bible said, and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Now, I don't think that that's necessarily talking about the renewal of the Holy Ghost as much as the renewing process that the Holy Ghost works in our lives. Same principle we find in Psalms 51.10, creating me a clean heart, O God. And then the writer said, David said, and renew a right spirit within me. Here's what Paul understood, and the Holy Ghost is helping us. We had, there was an immediate change when a man gets saved, and I believe that change is manifested and expanded under discipleship. I think you have to teach men sometimes. But then after a period of time, when that person is fashioned like unto a Christian, here's what the Bible teaches us, we're still flesh. And so there will be a consistent and constant need in our life for the Holy, Word, the Holy Ghost not to save us again, but to renew us, amen, to keep cleansing us and to keep helping us and to keep molding us into what he would be pleased with. Now look at verse number 6. He said, which he shed on, he said, that which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. And, and that's just evident of the mercy that he talked about in verse number four or five. Then he said in verse seven, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So Paul goes into detail to remind us what we benefited when we were born again. Amen. I'm glad we benefited, aren't you? But then he said, this is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly, keep telling them, he said, that they which have believed in God, so we're talking about believers, might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto me. And so Paul said, Timothy, or uh, Titus rather, he said, tell them that they need to be ready to every good work because... They once were lost, but now they're found. 
And he said this, he said, and then affirm constantly, remind them that then after they begin those good works, they'll have to be careful to maintain them. It's an amazing thing how quickly we are going to slide. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And I'm just going to be honest about it. You may be the most hardest working man from a carnal perspective that this county has ever known. You might by reputation, dear lady, be the most busiest individual at Lighthouse Baptist Church. And uh, and yet, may I say, spiritually, we are prone to get lazy. Am I right? And so he said we have to maintain, we have to keep pressing on, we have to do the things that are necessary so that we continue to serve. God's service is not a flash in the pan. Amen. It's not a, it's not a, a, a sprint. It's a marathon. Amen. And God's intent for the child of God is to serve Him continually until God chooses to call you home. Say amen right there. Now, the way you can serve often changes by circumstance and age and health and those types of factors. We understand that. But there's something to be done, amen, in the business of God. But I'm interested this morning, and that was a kind of a lengthy introduction, but I, I really want to deal with the phrase that you find at the conclusion of verse number 8. The Bible said this is a, the, that these things are good and profitable unto men. And I want to use that expression this morning, and I want to preach for a little bit on the subject profitable things. Amen. Profitable things. So Titus is told by the Apostle Paul to share with his congregation that these things, these good words, he said, they are good and profitable unto men. And I believe that in our lives uh, there's still some profitable things that that we ought to be investing in. Amen. There, 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 it's said in the business world, in the investment community, that there's no sure things. Amen. And, and, and reality is, in that arena, if somebody tells you it's a sure thing, you better run and hide your wallet. Amen. Because 99 times out of 100, it's a scam. It's not going to last. It's a Flash in the pan. It may even be dishonest, deceiving, or, or illegal. Somebody say amen right there. Uh, but there are, there are some profitable things. And, and if you and I had a proverbial crystal ball, and I guess that's probably a wicked thing to say in the church, amen. But if we had a way to look into the future and, and we could be assured of some valuable proposition, I promise you, I promise you that without hesitation, all of us would be investing in that proposition. Amen. I remember my dad had a, a, a salesman that worked for him when he was still, before he retired from Goodyear, and, and he was in a rural store. They had a truck tire salesman or a commercial salesman. And his wife, this salesman's wife, was the president secretary at a local bank, just a local homegrown bank. And, and the story was told, and he told my dad, he said, one day, he said, the bank president called the secretary and said, come in my office and close the door. She went in his office and closed the door, and he said, I'm going to tell you something I'm probably not supposed to share with you. said, that, but our bank has been in negotiation for some time, and we've reached an agreement for buyout. And in so many weeks from now, there's going to be a buyout. They're going to buy us out. 
And the, the multiplier of our stock value is going to be significant. And he told her what it was. And he said, my advice to you is whatever you can do, however you can get it, borrow, beg, or cash in every bit of money you can get your hands on and invest it in this bank stock. And so, and so they did. They, they tapped into home equity lines and credit lines and they emptied savings account and they borrowed from friends and family. And just as promised in just a few weeks, that bank was bought out and that stock multiplied. And overnight, they became a millionaire. They were very wealthy in no time flat, just short. And if you and I had some inside track or some inside information into something that was profitable, I'd say we'd be first in line to do just that. We'd invest everything we could get our hands on to make sure we were participating and taking advantage of those profitable things. Amen. I thought about this. The story's told in 1899 about two young lawyers from Chattanooga, Tennessee. One was named Benjamin Thomas, and the other was named Joseph Whitehead. They made an appointment with a young, with a, with an entrepreneur in Atlanta, Georgia named Asa Candler. That may not be a name common to you, but his product sure is Coca-Cola. And, uh, and uh, these two young lawyers, Thomas and Whitehead, had an idea that what was then only distributed as a soda fountain product could be put into a container, something called a bottle and taken home with you. What a novel idea. So, they made an appointment with Asa Candler, sat in his office, and Asa Candler laughed at him. He said, he said that he just literally laughed out loud when these two young lawyers said, we believe we can take Coca-Cola and put it in a bottle and have something people will take home with them. And he laughed at him. But, but he said to those two young lawyers, he said, I tell you what I'll do. He said, I'll give you the exclusive rights to bottle Coca-Cola product worldwide for the grand sum of one dollar. He said, if you'll pay a dollar, you'll have the right to bottle Coca-Cola worldwide. By the way, except Vicksburg, Mississippi, there was something about Vicksburg. There was already somebody doing something similar. But he said, he said for a dollar, now he wasn't as dumb as he looks because he still got to sell them the product. But he didn't think they would succeed. Well, I think the story's been told. Amen. And obviously it was a grand scheme and they became very wealthy over their investment. That's profitable things. Somebody said the rich get richer because they continue to do the things that get them rich. Amen right there. They tell us that the Home Depot Corporation has made more millionaires out of its everyday employees than any other company known to man. But if you'd have been fortunate enough to have had $5,000 to invest it on September the 23rd, 1981, when Home Depot stock was made public, had you had $5,000, you would have purchased 416 stock shares in the Home Depot Corporation. In the end of 2009, your investment would have been worth approximately $5 million. Uh, by the end of today, according to the current valuation of that stock, with its 13 stock splits, uh, you would have found your investment would be worth somewhere in the neighborhood of $47 million. Uh, just a sizable increase, amen. Profitable things. Uh, 
profitable things. Well, if you thought this morning, what in the world is that crazy preacher doing? I don't have any insights. You can check my bank account and find that out. I've not been given any inside information. I don't know what the next great business venture or investment opportunity is. But I can tell you this, that there are identified in the Bible some profitable things. And though we may not know what we could invest in physically, that would return a good dividend or grow our bank account or secure our future and our retirement. I'll tell you what I do know, that there are some things to invest in in the business of God that that pay a guaranteed dividend and lay up treasures in a land that's far greater than this. Amen. And so for just a few moments today, I'd like to talk to you about some things that are profitable in the work of God. Number one, I want you to write this down. I believe that the miracle of regeneration is worth investing in. Amen. I'm just going to tell you, folks, I still think that the most valuable thing you can do in this life is get born again. Amen. I mean, getting saved is the most worthwhile investment that a man will ever make. And as believers, it ought to be our constant endeavor and to try to get somebody else to get born uh, into the family of God. Amen. Uh, I thought about, I thought about uh, that if we're not careful in this world that we live in, uh, and that we'll lose focus uh, uh, on what is the main thing. Uh, uh, amen. Uh, uh, Curtis Hudson said, let the main thing be the main thing. Amen. Uh, uh, soul winning and, and reaching people for Christ uh, has to become the most important thing in our lives. It's more important than our buildings. It's more important than our bank accounts. It has to be more important than our bickering. It has to be more important than our hopes and our dreams and our plans and our ambitions. It wasn't considered an interruption of heaven for Jesus to purchase sinners. And it should not be considered an interruption of our day, our life, or our plans to reach people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. A name that there will be those in this room that are familiar with. I remember preaching at Valley View Baptist in Knoxville many years ago when Dewey Cooper was still living. And Brother Dewey said this. He, he was praying that morning and, and he had a daughter-in-law that was in Texas receiving some sort of experimental treatment for lung cancer. Very serious condition. But as we kicked off revival on a Sunday morning that Dewey Cooper prayed and it so impressed me. I put it in my notes. Uh, he said, but the number one thing on the prayer list today uh, is seeing somebody saved. Amen. Uh, uh, amen. Sometimes our prayer list more consists uh, of keeping saints out of heaven than it does sinners out of hell. Uh, that God help us uh, uh, to make sure the right thing stays the right thing. Uh, uh, to be reminded that those circumstances uh, that may come in our life that are difficult or dangerous or dark, uh, and that Paul would speak to us in Philippians 1 and 12. Uh, and he said this, he said that the things that have happened unto me uh, have fallen out rather uh, for the furtherance of the gospel. Uh, why is it that the miracle, and I still believe it's a miracle, amen, uh, when, I, when I was the associate pastor of the Bethany Baptist Church in Gainesville, uh, 
And we went to a period of time with the transition of pastors. And, and I was preaching all the, the services. And I, I preached on the miracle of salvation one night. And an older gentleman, very well respected song leader, Sunday school teacher, came up to me in the little narrow aisle of the church building. And he said this, Brother Don. Uh, he said that, Brother Dwayne, uh, great message tonight, but. Uh, now, you preachers know uh, that when you get that kind of comment, uh, it's probably not going to be a pleasant future conversation. Now, Brother Duncan, whom I respect, he's in glory now. But Brother Duncan said this. He said that I believe that uh, you've got a wrong premise. He said salvation uh, is not a miracle. Uh, well, I just stopped and paused, and the Holy Ghost helped me for a minute. Then I said to him, I said, Brother Duncan, what's the definition of a miracle? He said, that's where the problem is. He said, a miracle, of course, he was a little Calvinistic, but he said, a miracle is something that deviates from the natural course or plan. Amen. So his idea it wasn't a miracle because he's elect and all that kind of garbage. But I answered and I said, I'll stick by my stand because the natural course of man is been on hell and destruction. But thank God, when Jesus stepped in, a miracle took place, and I was born again, and I'm not what I used to be, and I'm not more going where I was going, because of the miracle of regeneration. You say, preacher, why is it worth investing in? First, because it converts a soul. Now, I emphasize the word soul, because at the work of salvation, though sometimes we focus on the temporal benefit, I am glad that it puts homes back together. I'm glad that it changes the character of a man. Uh, I, I, amen. I like songs like the one about, you know, a little boy playing on the floor of the country store and the two men talking about whether Jesus was real. Uh, and uh, little Timmy said, uh, please, if Jesus isn't real, please don't tell my daddy. Uh, because since he met Jesus, uh, he's been good to my mama and me. Uh, boy, I'm glad that we've got a Jesus that changes things in the temporal world. And men that come to Christ are not the same. But I remind you that we must always stay focused on the reality that salvation is about eternity. Amen. It's about eternity. I think about the psalmist 142 and 4. The psalmist said, I looked on my right hand and behold, and there was no man that would know me. Refuge fail me. And then he said, no man cared uh, for my soul. Who can judge uh, at the value of a soul? Here's why. Uh, do you realize that a soul in, in scriptural terms uh, is more valuable than the life of the Son of God? Uh, amen. Let that sink in for just a moment. Uh, you say, preacher, I'd never make that statement. I understand that. Uh, and to be blunt about it, Brother Nathan, I might would never make that statement. Uh, but it's not what I said. It's what the Bible 
Bible said. Uh, Romans chapter number 5 and verse number 6. For when we were yet without strength, uh, in due time Christ uh, died for the ungodly. Uh, For scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet preadventure for a good man. uh, Some would even dare to die. But God commendeth His love toward us uh, in that while we were yet sinners, uh, Christ died for us. Uh, Hallelujah. Hey, I sure am glad that that God saw something in me uh, that I couldn't see in myself. Uh, The words of Dottie Rambo's great song, uh, He looked beyond my fault uh, and He saw my need. Uh, He saw not what I was, uh, but He saw what I could be. Uh, I say to you, thank God uh, that Jesus was willing uh, to value your life and my life uh, above His own life. Uh, Hallelujah. I I can't fathom that. Uh, The sinless and holy Son of God uh, that would so love a defiled and wretched sinner like me uh, that He'd die in my place. Uh, But He did. Uh, But He did. But He did. Uh, I I think about a friend of mine up in uh, Somerville, Georgia. And uh, and, uh, I I preached many meetings for him down through the years. And I guess I've never been in a service with him, brother. He was pastor in that church and I was preaching for him. Or rather, he was just visiting. Uh, but some point in the announcements at the beginning or at the end, uh, he'd always make this statement. Uh, tears in his eyes most of the time, Brother Jamie. He'd say, he said, if nobody's told you that they love you today, uh, let me be the first one to tell you Jesus loves you. Uh, hey, uh, may I say it really doesn't matter how dark your past is. Uh, it doesn't really matter how deep your sin stains are. Uh, really doesn't matter how 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 depraved your lifestyle has been. Uh, whether you're a little bitty sinner or a great big sinner. Uh, doesn't make any difference. Jesus loves you. Uh, and Jesus loves you enough uh, that He was willing to die in your place uh, uh, so that He could save you. Amen. Uh, you ever thought about the stories of the resurrection in the Bible? Uh, there's several of them. Uh, I thought about the Bible talks about Jairus' daughter uh, and how Jesus arrived just as life left her. She's just barely dead. Uh, be honest, though she's not breathing, her heart's not beating. Uh, uh, she's probably still warm to touch. Uh, then I thought about the widow of Nain. Uh, her son lays a corpse and they buried within 24 hours. Uh, and so he's not been dead a day yet. Uh, and they're on their way out to the cemetery when he encounters Jesus. He's just beginning to smell, maybe a little bit, uh, not anything dramatic. Uh, uh, he's just dead a day. Uh, then there's the story of Lazarus. Uh, four days sealed in a tomb. Uh, don't open. It's too far gone. It's too rank. Uh, he already stinks. It's a terrible endowner. And then his decay has already begun to set in. Uh, uh, but didn't it amaze him that rather it was a little girl who's still warm uh, or the boy who's only been dead a day uh, or Lazarus who's four days in the tomb until he stinks uh, uh, when Jesus passed by. If the resurrection was the same, uh, he rose from the dead. Uh, and I say, thank God that's how it is with sinners. Uh, little old boy or girl raised under the steeple of the church uh, in a 
Sunday school class. Uh, but thank God that uh, they're still dead in their trespasses. Uh, they're still dead in their sins. Uh, but Jesus passed by. Uh, and when Jesus passed by, thank God that uh, they were quickened. Uh, they were made alive in Christ. Uh, and do you know what that word quickened? The Bible said they were all dead in trespasses and sin. Uh, but two times in Ephesians 2, you'll find the phrase quickened. Uh, the first in verse number 1 deals with the quickening of man's consciousness. Uh, you see, until Jesus passes by and begins the work of conviction in the heart of the sinner, he doesn't even realize he's lost. Uh, now he is, amen. Uh, he is. It's just like if I'm driving back into town and I didn't see the the speed sign, that the speed limit sign dropped from 55 to 45 or 35, and uh, and I'm still traveling the higher speed. If I get pulled over, I can't claim, well, I didn't know that the speed limit dropped. It's an invaluable defense. It's a. It's just uh, our ignorance is no excuse. Uh, and may I say to you, just because a man goes on his happy married, go lucky way, living his life of debauchery and sin, it doesn't matter. He doesn't know he's sinful. He doesn't consider himself at odds with God. The truth of the truth is, he's just not been quickened yet. That conviction's not made him aware of his lost condition. But I say, thank God for conviction. Thank God for the day that the Holy Ghost of God that began to to speak to my heart and begin to speak to your heart uh, and begin to show you uh, that you needed a Savior, uh, that you were lost without God, uh, that you had offended Him. Amen. Uh, and then there's that second quickening. Uh, I think it's verse number four. Uh, that quickening is a quickening of life. Uh, and it refers to that new birth. Uh, uh, when Jesus came by and we who were dead are made alive, uh, uh, we we were we were we were we were bound in the sin of our past, uh, but thank God in Jesus we were made alive uh, as a new creature. Uh, I, uh, in that old life, I was an offense. Uh, I'd offended God. I'd wronged God and was brought the wrath of God. Uh, but as a new creature, uh, clothed in the righteousness of His Son, uh, I'm a child of God, uh, an heir with Jesus, uh, and a fit subject for heaven. Now, thank God for what regeneration does. When a man gets saved by the grace of God, amen, it's more valuable than the life of the Son of God. It's more valuable than the treasures of this world. Amen. Uh, yeah, Mark, Matthew 16 and 26 said this, For what is a man profited if he should gain the whole world and lose uh, his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And it's more valuable than our own lives and our own dreams and our own ambitions. Uh, the Apostle Paul would say to us in Romans 9 and verse number 3, he'd say this, For I could wish that myself were a Cursed from Christ uh, for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Isn't that something? Uh, Paul said that the gift of eternal life that comes in the Lord Jesus Christ, the miracle of regeneration is of such great value that, friend, he said, even if I had to lose my own life for the cause of it, he said, it'd be worth it. Uh, oh, it ought to be worth more than the life we're living. Uh, that the miracle of regeneration. A miracle because it converts the soul. Uh, then let me say this it changes lives. 
When a man comes to Christ, he's not the same that he used to be. Amen. Uh, you probably have heard the story, Mel Trotter. Mel Trotter was saved in 1897 at the Pacific Garden Mission in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, but before Mel Trotter was saved, uh, he was a vile, wretched drunkard. Uh, the story's told about Mel Trotter, that he came home drunk and his wife had called the doctor to tend to a sick baby. Uh, they had no money, but the doctor, out of his own pocket, uh, took some money put it in the hands of Mel Trotter and said, go down the street to the apothecary, pharmacist, us modern era folk, uh, and wake him up and get this medicine and maybe we can save the baby. Uh, but, but, but Mel Trotter was such a drunkard uh, that he took the money the good doctor put in his hand and stopped by the calling of a bar uh, and, and drunk the money away and drunk the night away. Uh, when he staggered back home, he found the baby had died. Uh, they'd already prepared it for burial and had it laying in a room as was the custom of the day. Mel Trotter snuck in uh, took the took the shoes uh, off of his own dead baby's body. Uh, took them to a pawn and sold the shoes uh, and bought another drink of liquor. Uh, he became so vile in his despair uh, that he wanted to take his own life in Chicago. He was going to thrust himself into the frozen lake there, Lake Michigan. Uh, and he said that he took his shoes off uh, and he he sold his shoes to get enough drinks so that he would have enough uh, uh, courage, I guess, uh, uh, to, to cast himself into the lake. Uh, so he's walking through the snow barefooted on his way to take his own life. And he passed by the door of the Pacific Garden Mission. Uh, and somebody, the doorkeeper, saw his condition. He said, sir, don't you want to come in? Uh, you're going to freeze to death in the snow. Uh, and Mel Trotter came in and, and got saved and became a preacher of the gospel. And his life changed. Uh, he went to Grand Rapids, Michigan and opened a shelter in an old vaudeville theater. Uh, and for 40 years brought the greatest names uh, in uh, evangelism across the stage to preach to men and women uh, in the darkness and despair of addiction. Uh, that's what salvation does. Uh, that's what regeneration does. Uh, it changes lives. Uh, I live close to Cartersville, Georgia. There's even a... There's even a a, a, a church there. It's a Methodist church because Sam Jones was from Cartersville. Sam Jones was a Methodist itinerant evangelist. Uh, you may have heard of a place called uh, the Grand Old Opry. Uh, it's better known as the Wyman Auditorium. Uh, but it was not built as a place for country music's finest stars. Uh, it was built for a Methodist preacher. Uh, amen. A businessman built it. Uh, uh, and they said at the height of his popularity he would preach three times a day to an overflow crowd where they turned away people at the door three times a day. Uh, uh, Sam Jones. Uh, but Sam Jones didn't start out a tremendous evangelist. Uh, Sam Jones was a studious man and an, and an intelligent man and uh, a lawyer by trade. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, alcohol and addiction got the better of him. Uh, he ended up in a northern state living in a rented room. Uh, stories told about Sam Jones that he came down to a bar and he had a couple of dollars and he drank his last dollars away and he staggered out and he fell down in the snow unconscious and they just left him laying there. The next day he got up and he's almost froze to death. 
But he staggered back into that bar and he begged the bartender. He said, give me another drink. In those days, there was a trough underneath the bar. And they'd simply take a cloth and rake all of the spillage and all of the debris that was on the top of the counter into that trough. It's called the dregs. And he said that 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 that, that, that the bartender to mock him that took a, a mug, a stein, and he reached out in the dregs and he pulled up a, a mug of, of just the debris and spillage of the previous day and he shoved it across the bar Sam Jones uh, said with a trembling hand he picked it up began to shake uh, he looked in the mirror brother Don behind the bar and he said when he looked in the mirror that, that, that stein dropped out of his hand and shattered on the on the floor of that, uh, of that saloon uh, and he said this is what it's gotten to this is what I've become uh, he saw himself that day differently he made his way to his rented room and nobody saw him for three days uh, but when Sam Jones came out he was different uh, he'd had an encounter with God and got born again uh, he went down to the barber because the barbers where you got a bath uh, and he went in to get a bath and he said I don't have any money but if you give me a bath he said uh, he said I'll pay you as soon as I get some money and he said the barber let him go to the bathhouse and he took his bath and he said not only that Sam but he said I'm going to give you a haircut and he cut his hair and he said we've been praying for you Sam that the Lord would save you he said you need to go down the street to the tailor he said he's got a new outfit of clothes waiting on you he went down the street to the tailor and he got a brand new outfit of clothes and the tailor hugged him and said Sam we've been praying for you to get saved when he got done he put some money in his pocket he said go down to the bus station or the train station to a train and go back home he got on a train and came to Cartersville, Georgia. Walked down a familiar street he'd not been on in a long time. A boy, now almost a teenager, walked up to the door as he knocked on it. And he said the boy didn't recognize him, but it was his own son. He hollered and said, Mama, there's a strange man at the door. His wife come around the corner to make her require and say, we, We're not buying anything today. We're not looking for anything. And when she looked up, he spoke her name and she looked in his eyes and she said, Sam? He said, honey, I have encountered Christ and I got saved and I'm not what I used to be. I'm just telling you, it's worth investing in. But because lives get changed when men meet Jesus. When men meet Jesus, lives get changed. Hallelujah. I met Bill Cotter back in the 1990s. I met his son first in Morristown, Tennessee. I was preaching in the area, and his boy came and sat down. His boy had gotten saved out of a wicked lifestyle when he watched his friend hit a Cadillac on a motorcycle at 120 miles an hour, and it made a U around him, and they had to cut him out. And he said it shook him up that he ended up going to church and got saved. Well, he, he got saved, but he's still paying the time for his crimes. And and uh, and he doesn't have a driver's license. He'd lost it because of his repeated DUIs. And he and his daddy worked at the same place. So he just rode to work with his daddy every day. But he said, my daddy, his name was Bill, was a, was a lost man. And he said, daddy was a good old boy. 
He's hardworking. He was a functioning alcoholic, but he's a hardworking man. Uh, he wouldn't have found any better. He seemed to love his family. Uh, but he stopped every Friday, cashed his check, bought a 12-pack of beer. That's how he spent his weekends until he went back to work on Monday morning. And, and, and Joe said, Joe said it got to bother me so bad, Daddy, go in that store and come out with that beer. I wouldn't go in with him. He said, I don't want to be seen. Daddy, come out toting his beer. And he said, I got to pray. And I can remember they were meeting at the church early every morning in a revival meeting, praying for Bill to get saved. And I sat there and talked to Joe at the preacher's house. And he was asking God to save his daddy. He said things went on several weeks, and one day my daddy come out, and uh, he had his beer in a brown paper bag. He said, my daddy always been proud of his beer. He wasn't going to hide it. And I said, I said, I shouldn't have said anything, but I said, Daddy, I said, Daddy, why'd you put your beer in a bag? And he said, well, he said, everybody don't need to know my business. <laughs> Everybody don't need to know my business. Uh, he said that went on three or four weeks, four or five weeks, something like that. Everybody's praying. And he said that, and this is where we are about the time I met with Joe. He said that last week, he said we stopped Caster Check. And then he said we went by the same store. And then he went in. I thought he'd come out with his brown bag with his beer. But he said he came out with a gallon of milk. <laughs> And he said, I shouldn't have, but I said, Daddy, where's your beer? He said, I've been drinking too much, boy. I've been drinking too much. He said, I couldn't say nothing right to him, Brother Dent, but he said, in my heart, I say it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You're working on my daddy. Well, well, I just thought I'd tell you. Things rocked on two or three more weeks. And one Sunday morning, Bill Cotter showed up at church and got gloriously saved by the grace of God. I was getting ready to preach this message a few days back a week or two back. I thought I'm just going to see. You know, Facebook tells to tell on everybody. Somebody say amen right there. Good, bad, or indifferent. It just is what it is. I thought I'm just going to see. And so I had some names in mind that were common acquaintances. And so I, I searched out a couple of things. I didn't have to search but about twice. And here it popped up. You know where Bill Cotter was? And it's been 20 years. He is in the choir. Hey, uh, he's in the choir, amen, out of the mire and in the choir. Uh, I'm telling you, getting people saved is how you change their lives, uh, how you see souls saved, how it makes a difference in eternity. It's because of the value and how profitable regeneration is. Uh, let me close with this. Uh, the miracle of regeneration converts the sinner, it changes the life, but it confirms citizenship. Amen. Y'all may not see much in me, but I'm a citizen of two worlds. Amen. I, I listen. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Hey, the only way I can get to heaven is not because of who I am. My first birth won't get me there. Amen. My first birth is corrupt. I'm shaping in iniquity, conceived in sin. But thank God I had a second birth. With that second birth, I'm a citizen of heaven. Amen. I'm a citizen of a place that I've never been. But the only way you'll get to heaven is to be saved by the grace of God. You see, you see, here's the reality. There's a king in that city. And uh, the problem I had was I was an offense to the king 
my rebellion and misactivity, my sin, my wrongdoings had made me an, uh, had made me a, had made me a, a, an ism to the king. He, he was offended in me. And I could do nothing worthwhile that would ever reconcile the differences that I had with the king. But 2,000 years ago, I found a daysman. And he had the, you see, a daysman, the right arbitrator's got to have contacts on both sides. So he left heaven, so he already had a contact there. Uh, But he came and he took on robes of flesh. Uh, He became like we are as yet without sin. Uh, And so at dark Calvary, the good Savior could reach up and take the hand of God. uh, For he was the Son of God, having always done the things that pleased the Father. Uh, And he could reach down as a human flesh and take the hand of man. uh, And he could reconcile us. He could bring us together. And I've been made accepted in the Beloved. I'm in tonight. Heaven's my hope. Because the offense has been taken away. Jesus paid the price. Jesus made the difference. And Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. The miracle of regeneration is a profitable thing. Props me to ask you a question this morning. Have you ever been saved? Is it personal? Do you see the value of being born again? Uh, there was a time in my life when I didn't. But then the Holy Ghost brought it to my mind. Amen. There would have been a time some of you scoffed at it, mocked it, made fun about it, thought it wasn't necessary or put it off. But aren't you glad for the day? That the Holy Ghost said, it's a profitable thing. It's profitable to get born again. Are you saved? If you died today, would you go to heaven? Do you know eternity is settled that you'd be in the presence of Jesus? Or is there a doubt? Is there a confusion? Maybe there's no doubt, no confusion. Maybe it's just clear as a bell. I'm lost. If I go to, if I go to the grave today, I'm going straight to hell. My sins are still unforgiven. My life unchanged. i got good news. He's still in the same room. In this financial thing, I'd usually say something like this, Brother Stanley. I'm usually a day late and a dollar behind. Yeah, amen. I'd find out about the most profitable investment the day after they ran out. There wouldn't be none left for me. Or I'd know that guaranteed thing and couldn't get my hands on a dime. But I sure am glad when it comes to the miracle of regeneration, the supply is not limited. The blood's still sufficient. There is a fountain. Not there was a fountain. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath the flood. Lose all their guilty state. You hear that flood? It's not limited. There's no shortage. Just get in and get saved. Amen. And if you're a believer, when's the last time you had a part reaching somebody for Christ? Tried to win them to Christ. Told them how wonderful it is to be saved. Man, oh man, I believe the miracle of regeneration is worth investing. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. They're coming with their song of invitation. Whatever they've made preparations for. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Nobody's looking around. Just respectful to the Spirit of God as He moves in our midst. Man, 
I believe the Holy Ghost is helping us this morning. I believe he's trying to help us. Maybe it's a believer that he's speaking to this morning. And uh, you've given up. <laughs> you've given up on a family member or a friend or a co-worker or a loved one. And you thought, I just don't ever think they're going to get saved. Or maybe you've lost faith. And you've said in your heart, I just think they might have gone too far. Man, I'm telling you, I don't believe that's our choice. That's not our discernment to have. We're not, we're not trying to discern whether they've gone too far. Here's what I want to ask you this morning. Is it profitable enough that you go tell them again? Hallelujah. Is it profitable enough that you'd go pray again? Is it profitable enough that you'd put yourself in a position where you were uncomfortable and reach out to them one more time about eternity? Is it profitable enough that you'd go get somebody and bring them to revival meeting? Is it profitable enough that you'd pick up the telephone and call somebody? Is it profitable enough you'd write somebody a letter or a note and insert a gospel track and tell them they need to get born again? And I, I want to invest in what's profitable spiritually and souls are profitable. Salvation of souls is profitable. But what about you if you're not a believer, if you've never asked Christ into your heart? You, know, you, you probably didn't come this morning to get saved, and that's okay. Most of us didn't. But nevertheless, the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. Just, just speaking, just, just, just speaking. No, not with an audible voice. You're not hearing it in your ears. You're hearing it in your heart. There's a calling. It's probably calling you by name. And you feel, the, you feel the guilt and the shame that sins brings. And it's probably stronger on you at this very moment than you felt in a while. It's just that weight. Because you know you're guilty. But if you'll listen, I believe that voice that you're listening to and feeling this morning is saying something like this. I love you. I died for you. You're valuable to me. And I want to save you. I want to save you. Well, that puts the ball in your court. You'll have to respond to what the Holy Spirit's speaking to your heart about. How do you do that, preacher? You step out of your seat and you make your way to this altar. And somebody will meet you and take a Bible and show you how to be saved. How to be born again. It's not hard. You have to understand the cross work of Christ. But somebody can show you from the scriptures how you can go away today knowing, knowing that you're saved, saved, saved. We're standing all over the house. Brother Don has a song of invitation ready. The piano's playing. Some are already in the altar. Do you need to come? Would you come pray for that lost friend, family member, acquaintance? Would you come sing when you're ready, Brother Don? Are you lost? Do you need Jesus? There's a call from ringing o'er the restless wave. Send the light. Send the light. There are souls to rescue. There are souls to save. Send the light.
I've known people that regretted this or regretted that. But if, if the Lord doesn't come back before March of next year, I'll have been saved 50 years. <laughs> and and if, I, if I make it to February of next year, I'll be preaching 47 years. Do you know something? In all of those years, thousands of churches, thousands of people, and I don't mean that with nothing bragging, I'm just establishing a little credential. I've never not one time here, there, or around ever had anybody come up to me and say, I regret I ever got saved. I regret the day I gave to Jesus. I regret the day that I gave him my heart and life. Even people that have wandered back into the world have never looked back and said, I wish I'd have never got saved in the first place. I've heard them say many a time, I'd like to get back where I was. But I've never heard them say, I regret what I was. I regret that I got saved. You'll never be sorry if you get born again. Sing one more verse, Brother God.